The Christian life is a, a journey. It's a journey from the darkness of depravity to the bright hope of glory. Sometimes in Scripture it's described as a walk, sometimes as a run or a race, sometimes as a stand, as we take our stand, sometimes as a battle. It has many descriptions, but always it is the miracle of God's grace. Salvation is of the Lord. It is the work of God in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, it is sure and certain, finished and complete. It is also a daily pursuit. And we're to remember both of those things. Sometimes the pursuit is difficult. And sometimes the difficulty gives the impression that we will never make the destination. That we'll never come to the end. It all seems sometimes quite hopeless. But God's Word always encourages us. And it encourages our fainting hearts. In Christ, the destination is sure. It will not be reached only by some Christians. It will be reached by all Christians. And the destination is the glory of God the glory of God that will be revealed in us, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the destination is glory. And all in Christ will complete the journey. All will travel from justification through sanctification to glorification. All will be glorified in Jesus Christ. All will be with Him. And this is the hope of glory that the Scriptures speak of. Christ is the forerunner, and as the forerunner, he runs the race for us, and he completed the journey for us, and he will bring us, all of us, to the goal, because in Christ, we're already at the goal. It's already completed, and having this hope before us is the way to be encouraged in living the Christian life. So we've been studying glory on Sunday morning, been impressed with the fact that we are to be mindful of this all the time, the glory of God to come, our glorification to come. Sometimes we are so happy with the Christian life and so happy with the salvation that God has given to us, we say, ah, this is enough. If this, if the Christian life were only about this, it's enough for me. This is very good. But the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not true. If it's not for that which is to come, then this life is in vain. It's, 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 it's fallen short. And the Apostle Paul is quite right. Now, the Christian life is about justification and sanctification and that glorification. And we are to have that glory in mind. It doesn't make us so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good, as some have said, but we're to be heavenly-minded so as to be earthly good and earthly valuable and to live a life that is meaningful. And when you turn to the book of of Colossians, um, you see the message that is is really in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. A lot of times when you see a commentary on Colossians, Uh, the title of the commentary is always the same. It's the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. 
And the reason for that is because when the Apostle Paul thinks about the Christian life and when he thinks about becoming, being a Christian, he thinks of Christ. And it's the sufficiency of who Christ is that is our hope. And it is his sufficiency that brings us to glory. And we need to be reminded of that all the time because the Christian life is, in one sense, a, a, a grueling struggle. We're living for Christ with the old nature, the remnant of that old nature still in us, still troubling us. And we're living in a world that will never encourage us in Christian living. And then there is a spiritual adversary that we have. We cannot see him, but Satan and the whole domain of Satan is against us. And we are warned of the wiles of the devil and, and that the devil is seeking those whom he may devour. It's a very, uh, a very real enemy that we face. We'll be shocked and surprised when we get to heaven and find out how many of our battles were really spiritual battles and that there were demonic forces uh, at work to, to really discourage our own hearts. But I'm simply saying we look at this world in which we live and there's no encouragement by looking about us. The only encouragement we have is fellow Christians and the encouragement we have from them and then also from the Word of God. But the Word tells us to be heavenly minded, to be thinking about that which is to come. And in John 17, the Lord Jesus Christ was right to be praying and, and to redirect and direct His dis- disciples to be thinking about that glory that is to become and, and where we're headed and that the, the Son keeps us and the Father keeps us and, and is sanctifying us. And, and His hope is that we will be so unified in Him and with Him that we will one day stand in His presence. That's where we're going. And Colossians uh, is uh, a very strong uh, reminder of, of that great truth. But look, just to set uh, the, the epistle in, in place before us, if you look at Colossians and you see this message of the sufficiency of Christ, look at verses, uh, chapter 1 and verses 24 through 29. And I've jumped over a very significant section because in the opening chapter he talks about who Jesus Christ is and, and the significance of being in him, being by him, being in relationship to, to what he has accomplished for us and who he is and what he's accomplished and then he comes to this sort of summary statement with reference to this chapter when he says, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You go from the sufficiency of Christ in this chapter to this this great statement, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Christ in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And having made this statement about the who Christ is in chapter 1, and all that he has done for us, he comes to this, 
this statement that says you need to know the secret. And a secret which was, has not been revealed but is now revealed in, in, our, in, in Christ. That, that it is our being united in Christ. Christ in me, me in Christ, as every Christian can say. That is the expectation, not just the hope, meaning wishing for glory. It is the certain expectation, the hope of glory. Christ is our hope of glory. Christ who came and accomplished our salvation is our certain expectation of glory. Now when you hear that statement, you might think, well, that being the case, then as some people have described, I'm just going to let go and let God. I'm just going to let Him just bring me to glory. And what's interesting is when the Apostle Paul speaks of that, he also then speaks of of our responsibility in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. And it's not just to sit back and be passive. It's to be active in, in the living of this life. It's to be active for the Lord, knowing that in Him we have this certain hope of glory. And so we continue to read in this passage and he begins to give some instructions regarding the Christian life. And you see those instructions in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him as established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. As you therefore received. Now in this statement, there are some active statements and there are some passive statements. An active statement is a statement of what we actively do. A passive statement is a statement of something that happens to us. And usually we associate that with the word to be or this has been something that is happening. It's, it describes something. Really, there's, they're often spoken of divine passives because it speaks of really what God is doing in us. And when you look at the actives in this passage, you see two of them at the beginning and one at the end. As you've therefore received, you've actively received Christ Jesus the Lord. You've understood that He is the Son of God. You've understood that He's the Savior. You've understood that He died upon the cross to save you, and you have believed in Him. If I say to you, what is your hope of salvation? You say, it is Christ alone. The salvation that I have in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. I am not a Savior. He is the Savior, and He has saved me. And I've received him. So that is an active statement. Then you have an active command. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now that's, again, describing the Christian life as a, as a walk. It's, it's a walk because it's, it's step by step. I've told you many times, the thing that's so amazing to me, when you go on a walk especially if you're going on a long walk, like several miles. It's always funny to me that when you take one step, you take one step, and if you stop, nobody does. But if you take one step and you stop and you go, I'm never going to get there. I've just taken this step and I take another step. And you go, I'll never get there. But the interesting thing about a walk is when you just keep taking steps, you get there. It's, it's the word is used in this, in this instance, walking is used as a Christian life because 
It indicates an action on our part. It indicates a destination. And this whole progression of moving toward that destination. It's a very appropriate word to use uh, with reference to the Christian life. But it says, since you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so, he says in this passage, so, walk in him. Walk in him. He's always said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us, and we are to walk in him. That's, both of those words then sort of piece together what we have in our union with Jesus Christ. In order to understand the Christian life, you need to understand who you are in Christ. And as Christians, we can say, well, Christ is in me. You might want to say, Christ is in my heart. But Christ is in me, and I am baptized into him. So I am in God, and God is in me. So I want to walk and learn how it is that I walk, not just walk as I want to walk, but as I walk in him. I'm walking in his body. That's the the, the picture of that. I'm walking in his body with Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I have Christ in me, and I'm walking in him. So there's this progression that's described. Now, the words that follow that, you're going to think I'm speaking on Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, but I'm really going to get to chapter 3, trust me. But the words that follow that are passive. They're descriptive of what God is doing in you as you are actively walking in Him. That's the beauty of walking in Him. Because what is taking place? And so he says this. So walk in Him. Rooted. Now that, you'll notice, this is some interesting combination of descriptive words. Because you have something that is rooted that is, is being built up. So you have something that sounds like a tree, and then all of a sudden it sounds like a, a building. As you've been, but, but these statements, rooted, built up, established, and taught, are all passives. Those are all things that are happening to you. The word rooted means something that is, you have been rooted, so the picture is that there is a point in time where you're rooted, and you continue to be rooted, but you are rooted in Him. So understand while you're walking, this is really a, a, in, in, in a walking example, this doesn't really seem to fit very well because you are walking rooted. But we understand that because we know what that means in Christ. We are rooted in Christ as we are walking. So that means you are getting your, your sustenance, you're getting your life always from Him. It's, you could say... Depending upon him. Perhaps that might be something that is more in keeping with someone who's walking along. But, but, but we're rooted in him. And we're rooted in him because he is the source of our strength. And he is the source of our life. And we are passively, we passively have been rooted in him. It's what it means to be baptized into the body of Christ. To be in Christ is not just be in some kind of union with Christ. But it's in a life-giving union. Where we are rooted in him and he is the supply of our life. And we are built up. The Christian life is not building ourselves up. It's about Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, building us up. That's what He's doing in us. So as we are rooted, we are built up. And we are established. It means there's, there's sort of this, this work of, of 
completion and, and, and finishing that's taking place in us. As you have been instructed. And um, the rooted is a, a, a perfect word that indicates something has happened in the past and the present. The, the built up is present tense. The established is present tense. Both speaking of things that the Lord is continually doing in us. And then the word instructed indicates one of the things, something that's accomplished. As you've been instructed, as you've been taught. Speaking of what you already know and what you're learning here in Colossians. What you're learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. But what you have received, you have received, and you walk, those are active. And then the last word is active. And that word is overflowing. Overflowing, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So here we have actively received and we are walking, but all these things are happening to us because we are in Christ. That's why the Christian life without Christ would be an impossibility. Because of all that he's doing in us. Because he has rooted us in him. He has, he has built us up. He establishes us. He has instructed us. And therefore, as we're walking along, what we actively do as we walk along in this life, with all of these things taking place, we are to be overflowing with gratitude to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ for all that he's accomplishing in our lives. That's why we gather together for worship. That's why we should have worship services every day in our own home, saying, thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing, and thank you for the blessings that you give to me, and thank you for rooting me in Jesus Christ, and thank you for building me up, and thank you for instructing me, and thank you for establishing me. This is what God is accomplishing in our hearts and lives. So you look at this and you say, well, this is, this is truly wonderful, and then... In the verses uh, 8 through 15 of this passage, he, he says, don't let anybody take this away from you. Let me just read these verses of, of Scripture. In, in verses, um, verse 8 and following. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was, was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it. And he goes on, let let no one defraud you. Let no one take these things away. You're completing Christ. And as you're walking along, and as God is accomplishing these purposes in you, as you walk in your life, be mindful of the fact just to be overflowing with gratitude to Him for all that He's accomplishing with you, and don't let anyone take it away. Now that brings you to chapter 3. And here in this chapter, he talks about really the encouragement and the mindset that we are to have in view of this walk that we are on. 
Sometimes in these epistles, you have to sort of give the, the thrust of thought to know what's, what's, what's happening. But he says, again, with, with all that he stated about the Lord Jesus Christ and our union in him, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Then he tells you how. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he tells you about the future. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's looking at the past when you you were raised up with Christ. It starts by looking back at Jesus Christ. Once again, if... If we are complete in Christ, then what Christ has done is, is, is really the starting point. So he's speaking of you, and he says, since you have been raised up together. Again, this is one of those passive statements. He's talking about what's happened to you. And it's a, it's a word that sort of indicates the co-resurrection. That when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Your resurrection was secured then. So that your bodily resurrection from the, from the dead is secured by Jesus Christ. And it is sure and, and certain. And it's, it's established, again, because of the union that we have, Christ in me, me in Christ, because I am in Christ, because he's raised from the dead, I'm raised from the dead. And this really goes back to all the way to Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's, that's why we have the hope of glory. Because if you were raised with Christ, and it doesn't say in this passage, just remember where Christ is. And just remember where Christ is and remember that you're going there. He doesn't say it like that. He says, just remember that when Christ was raised from the dead, you were in him then. You were raised and resurrected your resurrection was secured him by him. Then you have this command. And this is, this is a wonderful. Here's a, again a, a, a command that maybe goes all the way back to that, that uh, present command that is given in chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7 to walk. He says, I want you walk. That's, that's what you're commanded to do as a Christian. Now he says there's something else that you're to do. And this is also a present command. It's actively pursued. He says, you keep seeking. And keep on seeking. The word just is seek. But the present commands means you're to keep doing this. So it's appropriate for sometimes two words to translate one word, but because the action sometimes is translated. And here it's very appropriate to say, keep seeking. Since you were raised with Christ, seek. Or keep seeking, as some translations have it. Keep seeking those things which are above. This is the, the, the pursuit of Christ. You should say, where is Christ? I say, he's seated at the right hand of God. And there's reason for that. It, it could be, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this is a good idea, but it could be that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died on the cross, and he remains in the tomb for 2,000 years with the expectation that Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. That would be a glorious thing. Everyone would be watching his grave if that were the case. Sealed, and they're watching, waiting for Jesus Christ to be raised from the dead. So we find out what then happens after that. 
But one of the reasons why Jesus Christ was death, dead and buried, there are many reasons, but the reason why he was raised immediately was to, to indicate what he got accomplished at the cross and how the death could no longer hold him, and therefore he ra- he's raised from the dead, but he glows to glory because that's where we're going. What he did, he did for us on the cross. Where he goes, he goes for us. As the forerunner, we shall follow him. And so he says, keep seeking. It's, it's sort of the, the practical pursuit of the Christian life. Where Christ is seated. When he went to heaven, he was placed on a seat of honor. I, I, I say to you that when Jesus Christ went to heaven, that, that it's when, when Christ enters, I have no idea what this really looks like, but I do know that when Christ enters heaven, there is this glorious procession where Jesus Christ is taken and seated upon the throne of God. And he is seated at the Father's right hand to declare to us that he is perfectly acceptable in the presence of God, that God has glorified him, that he is not diminished at all in his person and in terms of the great work that he's accomplished. But he is seated upon the throne because everything that he accomplished, he accomplished it perfectly. And there he sits... And furthermore, when you get to heaven, I always say that he's going to go like this to you. And you say, well, that, that's interesting. He's, you know, he's going to, I know you're going to look and say, is he really looking at me? Is he going like this to me? But he says, he's going to look and go like this to you. He says, come here. You say, what? I want you to sit right here next to me. And how we can all sit next to the Lord, I'm not quite sure. But I do know that it's not going to be enough for the Lord to bring us to heaven. He's going to bring us to glory. And what happens to him happens to us, and we're going to sit upon the throne of God. It's going to be an awfully big throne. But we're going to sit on the throne of God. We're going to sit there with him. Because it's not enough for us simply to be in heaven, which is glorious, but he wants us to be with him. And they're seated upon him, but because he is seated, we are seated in him. That's where we're going. Sometimes when we live our lives, we get caught up in all the details of this life. And this life is complicated. And there are a lot of details in this life. And we're to be attentive to those details in this life. But always remembering where we're going. Everything you own in this life is going to be owned by someone else. Everything you do in this life, you're going to do in such a way that you never feel like it's really completed. You say, well, I have several places I want to visit before I die. I say, well, you'll go visit those places, but every time you go visit someplace like that, you always will want to say, I'd like to go back there and visit again. Because I know I didn't see everything that was to be seen. I want to go see that again. Whatever we do in this life is always, in a very real sense, incomplete. And uh, I remember my dad in his dying days talking about uh, prayer and talking about many, he says, there are many things I've been praying about that are not complete. They're not finished. That's what this life is all about. We look at many things in this life and we say it's, it's a, in one sense it's very, it's very discouraging because we look at life and we say it's not like what I expected, it's not what I thought, it's incomplete, we're not there, we're, you know, just in many ways. And you look at this and you say, but always remember in the face of all of that, he's saying, know where you're going, be encouraged. You've been raised up with Christ. And in all the confusion of this life, and all the difficulties of this life, 
The Lord Jesus Christ has said, you are destined to sit upon the throne with him and to sit upon the throne in glory. And his work of dying in your place for your sins and his work of setting you apart unto himself and his work of clothing you not only in his righteousness but also in his glory, that is yet to come. But that's not just wishful thinking. That's the certain thinking that the Bible has for you. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. There's a very real sense if someone says, where are you going? We should say, what do you mean? Where am I going in this life or where am I going in the life to come? Because it should be just as much in, you know, where are you going? We usually say, well, I'm going over to this place to do such and such. Someone says, what are you doing? Where are you going? That's what we say. But there's always a sense in which we are to say, I'm going to do this or anything. But that's, that's the lesser where I'm, do, where I'm going here. I, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to sit upon the throne because Christ has made me perfectly acceptable to God. That's where I'm headed. That's where I'm going. So the finished work for you is finished in such a way that we have another one of those glimpses of heaven. Because the scriptures tell you, if you pull back the, the curtain, if we could, and you pull back the curtain and you glimpse, what you're going to see is you're going to see the Father and the Son sitting together on the throne in certain expectation of you being there too. Because he went there for you. Whatever Christ did, he did on your behalf. He did for you. And the Lord wants you to know. So that's the encouragement, but now he gives you an, a, another command. If you are to keep seeking, that's a command. You are to keep setting your mind. That's the next command. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And again, you could, if you're going to be translating the action, you could say, keep setting your mind. Our mind very easily is raised up to see the things of God, and then it, during, it just it bows down back to the earth, and we see the reality of the world in front of us. And the reality of all the responsibilities that are before us. And sometimes we get overwhelmed with all the things that we're doing. And you see all that. But it says keep, keep that perspective. Keep setting your mind on, on the things above. Not on the things of the earth. And this is, this is talking not about the practical pursuit. Which is what it says when it says keep seeking. That's the practical pursuit. But when it says set your mind it's talking about the inner disposition what you're thinking about. And it is the things above, not upon the things of the earth. So you're thinking, Christ is victorious for me. There's a very real sense when you wake up every day, you ought to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you ought to say, Christ is victorious for me. Christ forgave my sins. Christ clothed me in his righteousness, and the Father looked at me and declared me to be righteous. Not sinful, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and righteous. And Christ is for me. He's doing all these things as I walk my daily life in the Christian life with an attitude of thanksgiving for him. He's doing all these things for me. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father because that's where he's bringing me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is, this, is, this is a very real hope that we are to not just talk about when we come to John 17, but it's, a, it's something we're to think about as we live the Christian life. The hope of glory. 
That's what he has for us. Seated with God. And he gives the explanation for that in the next verse. For you died. I did? Yeah, you died. When Christ died, you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we have the, you set your mind, but there's a reason why. It's because you died and your life is hidden with God. Now, people have talked about what does that mean to be hidden? Hidden with God. And there's, some have suggested there are three things that uh, speak of this. One is it speaks of, of the safety. To be, to be hidden in God means that we are safely secure in Him. I like that expression when you say, when we are hidden in this text. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's like it's God's great secret, and there we are, we're hidden. And that there's, there's in, in one sense, there's protection, there's safety. And another thing that's in, indicated by this word is the secrecy. And, and that's really the, the, the secrecy of, of God's provision for us. God's provision along the way. A lot of times you see people going through great difficulty and their life is hidden with God. What that means is there's security in that, there's safety, but there's also this, this secret rooted in Him and, and there, is, there He is supplying us as we go through life. And it is His supply that sustains us. That's our secret. I can live the Christian life. Why? Because I have a secret supply. It's the supply that God gives to me in Christ. And then also it gives us this whole, this whole business about being hidden in Him. It means that, that He is our identity. We're hidden in Him. Safe. Secretive. That's my identity. I'm, I'm in Him. So all that he speaks of with reference to, to being with Christ is, is, is to know that where he is, there I shall be. But people can take a look at me and say, no, I don't think you're going to be in heaven. I don't think you'll make it. I say, i got a secret. I'm, I'm hidden in Christ, and I'm secure. And that's my identity. And you may look at someone and see a failure. But Christ uh, looks at me and sees one he's bringing to glory. That, that's just wonderful truth. But set your mind on that. And keep setting your mind on that. And then we have this, this final statement in verse 4. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. You know, Jesus Christ is going to stand down from the throne. But when He stands down for the throne, He's standing down to come to get us. And He's going to come and get us. We shall be caught up drawn to him we shall be caught up to meet him in the air and we shall be caught up to meet him in the air because we're glorified you can't rise in the air right now but when you have a glorified body you shall be able to rise in the air you shall rise up to meet him when he is revealed when it says when he is made clear when the secret openly appears and is manifested the things that are now hidden will be illuminated in bright light. 
and will say, there's the one who is my hope. There's the one. And as you, as you leave, I, you know, just, just know as you are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, there's no room to grab souvenirs. When you leave, just, just telling you, just so you know, it's, it's going to be very quick, but you won't be able to say, there's certain things that I really like, things that are family heirlooms that we have. You know, belong to a great grandmother or a great, and you think, oh, I'd like to take this, and you know, you know, it, I'm just telling you, there'll be no room, and there'll be no want of those things. Because when you see Christ in all his glory and you're glorified, all those things go away. Hard for me to believe. But that's exactly what we have when he appears. And when he appears, what you are going to see and what you're going to fix your eyes upon is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he will stand down from the throne to come for us and to take us to the throne of God. And we shall be there to be with him, illuminated, glorified, with him in all of his glory. So these messages that we've heard on the glory of God. If you look at Scripture, you'll find the glory of God all over the place and the expectation of glory. And what a wonderful thing to think about when Adam first sinned, that the Lord's first promise, even way back in the garden, was for the victory of Christ. And it's stated in a very simple manner. He's going to crush the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise his heel. Stated in very simple terms. But really what the Lord intended, and I know that from the very beginning because there's nothing ever new with the Lord, is what he intended is to send the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us to glory. To accomplish so great a salvation for us. And if that's his thought from the very beginning, it should be our thought in the whole of the Christian life. God is bringing us to glory. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. This life will always be a disappointment. There's things about this life that will always disappoint you. Things in this life that will always be complete. But our completion is not in this life. Our completion is in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is our hope of glory, who is our life. So we look forward to him. And so we walk. And... We keep seeking, and we keep setting our minds. And as your mind settles down upon the earth, push it back up to see the glory of God and live in expectation of Him. We have a great hope of glory. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way in which you remind us not to be caught up in the details of this life and not to be burdened with some of the difficulties of this life. And Lord, we are indeed burdened, and we are indeed, we find difficulties all over the place in this life. It's what life here is all about. The Apostle Paul, as he walked through life, he was persecuted, he was beat down, he suffered, he was afflicted. He learned in life what he would suffer for your sake. And yet he's the one, uh, humanly speaking, under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, who says, never lose sight of where you're going. Never lose sight of the glory that we shall find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never lose sight of what you have done for us in Christ. Help us to be minded and be reminded of Christ always in our lives. And help us to be reminded of where he is and the glory that is to come.
So we pray your blessing upon us. and Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.